My day job is not listed because I would like to keep my job. Uh, so you can Google to figure that out on your own. Uh, but I am a proud member of the Democratic Party. Um, I moved here at Washington, D.C., uh, and I was a member of the executive committee for the D.C. State, uh, uh, D.C. Democratic State Committee. So very involved uh, in, in D.C. politics. Um, and then just by nature of living in the District of Columbia, everyone that gets voted on and gets sent to D.C. Uh, at some point, when you live in D.C., you have to deal with them. Um, and so we dealt with them accordingly. Um, and so I will say to 51st State, D.C. Um, but moving on, uh, so I'm here tonight to talk about my book. Um, so this is this came about before I, my job uh, here in Houston. Um, and it really is about inclusive transportation. And it's my manifesto for repairing divided communities. Um, even as I came here today, I had to get across a multi-lane highway, um, risking my life uh, just to make left turns to get here. If you wanted to walk, I was at the Starbucks, which as the moon, as the, as the pro flies, is probably not even a quarter of a mile and you can't walk it safely. Um, as you look at many of our cities across the country, uh, we don't have adequate sidewalks. Um, and Houston uh, may be, and, and, and this region may be an area that drives, but that's also what's killing us. Um, right now, uh, traffic led deaths is the number one killer of children. Um, and so if we thought if this was anything else, we would put all of our um, efforts to stop it, but yet children are dying every day and we accept it. Um, every, every year we're at about 45,000 uh, US citizens are dying on our roadways. Uh, Texas has gone um, not even, what, two decades at this point without a death on one of uh, our roadways. Um, so I take it very seriously. Um, it's, a, it's a tough road, and, and a lot of it is created um, by you know, my predecessors in the industry. Um, so my book is out, it's on Island Press. Uh, at the end of my talk, so you gotta listen to the whole thing. Uh, there is a discount code um, for you all. Um, but next slide. Uh, so a little bit about me. So I'm not from Houston, but as they say, I got here as fast as I could. Uh, I am from New Jersey originally. Okay, okay, Jersey in the house. Uh, so this is my town that I grew up in. It's a little itty bitty suburban town. Um, as Jason Aldean says, try that in a small town. It's a small town, um, but it was also a really great place to grow up. It was a very child friendly. Uh, I walked to school. We had no bus system, so you had to walk. Um, we had um, walkable areas. This is the little downtown area. I lived. I grew up about three blocks north of here. Um, but even kids as young as kindergarten walked to school. And we could because we weren't fear for our lives of you know big vehicles uh, driving fast, running us over. Um, and it really was a great place to grow up. Um, my mother and my father commuted into New York City by transit. Um, and so you know it, it just it, it formulates who I am as a person and what I know um, suburban areas can be. Next slide. Um, a little bit more about me. So I'm one of the co-founders of Black Women Bike, uh, located in the District of Columbia. And so even though I'm gone, the leadership is still carrying it on. 
And so what we did, I'm really proud of, we got a lot of black women biking. Uh, when you look at health indicators, I heard a lot of the candidates talk about health care and all those things. Unfortunately, um, black people are we at the top of everything that's bad, hypertension, diabetes, and all of those things. And so even with black women bike, it was just getting women on bikes for whatever it is, whether it's health, fitness, happiness, um, transportation. And interestingly enough, um, I was in my 30s uh, when I started it. I was one of the youngest members. We actually um, attracted a lot of young retirees who then went on to become um, licensed cycling instructors and got more retirees. And so even right now, as the organization is over 2,000 people still strong in the District of Columbia, many of the women are in their um, late 50s, early 60s. Uh, even some in their 70s and so biking has given them freedom as they age uh, it is gentler on the body than walking sometimes um, and they're using it as a form of transportation when you're on fixed income uh, you know these gas prices they keep fluctuating they're going up they're going down uh, but when you're on a fixed income it gave them uh, another avenue another option and it doesn't mean that they had to bike all the time but it gave them different options and really became advocates uh, for better bike infrastructure so people can feel safe uh, biking around their communities. Next slide. This is me as a child. So I just love this picture. I think I was a cute kid. Uh, thank you. And so I couldn't touch my toes then, but I can now. Uh, I am a certified yoga instructor, and I think sometimes people think about yoga as the movement, but it really is uh, an embodied life. Um, I also identify as a Christian. Um, and I am a believer in loving everyone. And so one of the things and one of the principles that really stuck with me through yoga was, a, it's called ahimsa, which means non-harming. Um, and so everything that I do, um, I try to take it from a lens of not harming people. And even as I write about my book, um, and I'll talk a little bit about what I call the silently suffering, um, I try to think about them every time I have to make decisions, uh, sometimes hard decisions, um, but I think it is very important to make sure that we're not continuing to harm people who are constantly harmed over and over again. So next slide. Um, so this is just to give you a teaser from my book, so you had to go buy it. Uh, <laughs> and I just wanted to talk through it. So today I'm going to uh, focus on two chapters, which I think uh, will resonate with this particular group. Um, but the forward is by Tamika L. Butler. Um, she, that she goes by she and they. Uh, but a very, very, very good friend uh, out of uh, the LA area. So she wrote my forward and talked about, at the time that I wrote my book, I started before the pandemic, um, but the pandemic exposed a lot of things. Um, I think a lot, of, uh, a lot of us have changed our lifestyle as a result of the pandemic. Um, as we all sat there for eight minutes and 49 seconds uh, watching a man uh, take his last breath while calling for his mama. We talk about moms against Greg Abbott. Uh, being a mom and someone calling for his mom, and I know that every mom out there had to feel a certain sense of pain. And so Tamika talks about that and why the time is now to have these conversations about inclusivity around transportation. Um, in my preface, I talked a little bit about what it was like to just be an author and the process of pouring yourself into a book um, that then makes it open for critique, good, bad, and otherwise, um, and not knowing if you're good enough not knowing if you qualify as the expert, and then you you know, you, you question, um, do I have enough credentials to be the voice of this particular topic? And I did, because I wrote the book. Um, to 
do is uh, just the introduction. Uh, so it, lay, it lays a lot of framework. Um, so when we talk about how we got to where we are today, and I'll get into that a little bit, it just lays a framework uh, for how our transportation system looks the way it does today. Uh, chapter one is transportation is personal, so I'll give you a little teaser on that one in a second. Um, chap uh, chapter two, equity is more than a baseball graphic. Has anyone here seen the baseball graphic where it's equity, uh, equality is everyone gets the, what they gets the same, and equity is everyone, and they're trying to look at a baseball game, and it's like a Kansas City Royals game, and it's like, first of all, who's trying to watch this game? Right? But, you know, I think the challenge is when we say everyone gets what they need, um, and the reality is uh, there isn't enough time, there isn't enough resources to give everyone what they need. And that's where we really need to uplift the communities that need it the most. Um, and also too, there shouldn't be billionaires, but that's a whole side point. Um, <laughs> for chapter three is should there be a war on cars? Um, I am not anti-car, um, but I will say that we talked, someone talked about science earlier. What we talked about science? science. Um, so the science is, is the impacts of transportation are felt. It is the number one contributor to our poor air quality. Um, if you, again, I talked about traffic-related deaths and fatalities, um, it is linked to the obesity epidemic and all the other health issues around it. So it's not to say that I'm against cars, um, but you know it is a conversation to be had. And as our vehicles get bigger, unfortunately, um, more people are going to die. Um, there was a graphic that at uh, 20 miles per hour, if you are struck, about 90% of people will survive. At 30 miles an hour, it drops instantly, um, that most people won't survive. But now with these bigger vehicles, we're even seeing, even at 20 miles an hour, that survival rate is starting to go down. And there's a lot of research out there. Um, Dangerous by Design is one, if you really want to just get into the weeds, uh, Dangerous by Design uh, by the Coalition for Complete Streets, um, which is all data, it's all facts, no alternate facts. Um, just, just the facts about um, where people are dying um, across the country. And this region is ranked, uh, I think it was 16th, I believe, in the nation for um, pedestrian deaths. Um, number four is power, influence, and the complexity of people. So I'm going to give you a little bit more on that one. Uh, chapter five, bringing it, bringing it all together, is really written for the engineering and planning industry. But I think as um, people who are interested in these things, it might be, that chapter might interest you. Uh, and then six, uh, we'll really get into that, and that's the task ahead. Next slide. Um, so how do we design our system? Uh, I'm not making this up. Feel free to Google. So next slide. Um, so this is a picture. Um, it's what I call, what is this? It's the American dream. Um, and so when you look at suburbanization and what happened, um, you had people who wanted the suburban dream of a house, um, a picket fence, a dog, a cat, and a vehicle. And so that was around the 1950s is when you first hear the term American dream. And at the same time, so we're in the Jim Crow era, you have redlining, which has been now proven. So there is redlining in a really great book, if you are interested, called The Color of Law, that documents uh, redlining in several cities across the United States. So you have redlining, you have protected covenants. Um, and even the thing that's interesting to remember for people, even with protected covenants, um, it also included people who were Irish, Italian, and Jewish. 
Um, and many of those protective covenants still exist today on deeds and the deed restrictions. Um, I know that even here in Texas, there has been a big effort to attempt to get those removed, but they still exist across uh, the country. And so next slide. Um, and with that, and the American dream was about a very particular type of person. One would call the wasp. Um, and this is a Google. This is literally a screenshot of my, compu my computer. And when you look at American dream ads, this is what comes up. What do you notice? Oh, yeah, they're all white. Great. Next slide. Good job. Powers of observation. This is the one slide that doesn't have white people featured. And this is uh, black people who are waiting in line um, for food. So next slide. And so when you think about our uh, transportation system, that's how we got to where we are. Um, so this is a map from 1960 of East Baton Rouge. Anyone here from Louisiana? No? Family from Louisiana? Been there. Been to Louisiana. We'll go with that. All right. So East Baton Rouge. Um, and so what this is, it's, it's kind of hard to see, um, but it is a parcel map showing property ownership. And then it's kind of faded, because again, this is from 1960. You see this faded line. And so that's where they were planning Interstate 10 um, through East Baton Rouge. Next slide. Okay, and who lived in East Baton Rouge? Mostly black and Italian. So the arrow points to a property owned by my family. Um, so my great-grandmother had a house in the front, and then my grandparents had a house in the back. And my mom lived in that house until she graduated high school. So next slide. So this is a picture of my great-grandmother's house um, that you see from the area. That's my uncle. I know, he's so handsome. <laughs> so that's my uncle. And then next slide. This is what it looks like today. And so everything is gone. The back tree, that's where my, uh, well, that back pillar right here, that was where my grandparents' house was. And so all of that now is I-10. Um, and even for me as a child, um, I went to go visit my great-grandmother, so I was fortunate enough to know her um, and visiting her house at eight years old. And her house was actually under the highway. So my parents, uh, my grandparents sold that house um, probably when I was around eight or nine, and then she moved in with my grandparents. Um, and so I say that to say, I think sometimes we think about these highways and it can feel like it was something very, very long ago. But my mother is very much in her right mind, um, and she remembers everything. And then there's family stories of like cows going off the highway. And I haven't been able to verify, but you know how families are. Um, and so there, there's, there's, there's people, even if we think about this region, who remember what it was like before the highway came, and before it was expanded, and before houses were removed. Um, and, and all those things, and that's the impact that we have. And I will give a lot of credit to uh, the Biden administration and the members of Congress who voted for the bipartisan infrastructure uh, law, not the ones that didn't, yeah. <laughs> but the ones that did, uh, because there has been a huge focus on reconnecting communities. There has been a huge focus of at least making some attempts to get restoration um, because there's scars in every city uh, that you see across the country where neighborhoods were just completely demolished. Um, I experienced recently um, where there was a road and in the middle of the road are still bodies from a cemetery that were never removed. Um, and so it is still, we're still reaping uh, the residuals of decisions that happened in the 1960s. So next slide. 
And so I will skip ahead to chapter four. Um, so in chapter four, I talk about power, influence, and the complexity of people. And although I'm writing it from a, from a standpoint of transportation, I think it is relevant to a lot of the conversation that I heard, a lot of the things that the candidates mentioned. So next slide. Um, so this is a picture of really, 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 really awesome people. I had an opportunity to go to Salzburg Global Seminar in Salzburg, uh, Austria. And so in Salzburg, it is called the Meeting of the Minds, where they bring people from all over the country to just discuss a topic. And whatever the topic is, and whatever happens, whatever comes out of it, happens. And so uh, my particular uh, seminar that I went to was talking about uh, the built environment and the impact on public health. And so you had people like me who were engineers, you had planners, you had activists, you had community organizers, you had people from the medical field, both from practicing doctors, as well as people on the public health side, and just bringing us all together. And so my group, one of the things that we talked about was power and privilege and how it plays out. And this ended up being the basis of my four, chapter four. So the next slide. Um, so this is just how we defined it. There's a lot of definitions out there. Uh, but we define power um, as the ability to direct laws, policies, and investment that shape people's lives. And that can look a lot of different ways. Um, and depending on where you are, your power might be a lot, your power might be a little. And there's always the power of the collective body of people when we come together to push for these laws and push the people in power to have better laws. Um, and then we talked about privilege, which can look a lot of different things. Next slide. So in privilege, we just call it accumulation of special benefits. And so it can look different for different people, uh, depending on what it, uh, what it is. You know, there is the privilege to be able to walk outside and having sight and be able to see and not having to worry about how you navigate your space. There's the privilege of not worrying if people, uh, if you go to the bathroom and people are gonna harass you because you may not fit what their view of that gender is. Um, and so there's a lot of privilege around that, and so it's each of us recognizing the individual privileges that we have and how that plays out. So next slide. Um, and so then lastly, this came out of uh, the Salzburg Global Seminar. Um, so lastly, we came up with this three-part framework. Um, so number one, we moved away from this idea of safe spaces, right? Because the thing about safe spaces means I get to stay comfortable regardless of who I am, um, and we moved into a thing called brave spaces, and that was allowing people the opportunity to make a mistake. Um, maybe you accidentally misgender someone, but you are doing your best um, to understand and be better. It's the recognition that we're not gonna be right, we're not gonna always get the language right, but having the bravery to continue to show up, to continue to learn, um, and continue to every day push ourselves to be better and strive for a higher level of consciousness. Um, two, we said understanding the role that power and privilege pay in different decisions. Um, and then lastly, was really analyzing and challenging um, all of those privileges. So in the next slide, um, and again, this is a teaser. This was my favorite chapter to write in chapter four, just so you know. Um, and so from a transportation perspective, I really broke the stakeholders down into four different types of people. So there's people in power, there's naysayers, there's champions, and there's the silently suffering. And so briefly, people in power can look like a lot of different things. There's the elected people we empower to represent us, and I know that you heard from many of those candidates there. 
Um, but there's also the people that influence them. There's people who have fluids. And I know that each of us has like the informal mayor of our neighborhood that has a lot of power that no one gave them. But yet they yield their power. And so it's understanding the power that you have and understanding who the people in power, what motivates them. How do you hold them accountable, especially for the people that you've elected to represent you? How are you holding them accountable once they are there and they're representing, hopefully, you? Um, the naysayers, so back in the day, they used to call them NIMBYs, not in my backyard. Um, and the NIMBYism movement actually grew out of kind of that environmental movement where people were trying to put very harmful things in communities. Over time, that has shifted um, to other things. And so when you think about things like zoning, uh, we talk about, I you know housing affordability is very important to a lot of people. Um, but zoning becomes the tool that people say, oh, no, no, no. I think there should be affordable housing. Just put it over there, right? And so that is a type of naysayer of you are attempting to get to a goal uh, where everyone can have a thriving life. And people are like, I agree, just not here. Um, and it's playing out. Uh, I was just scrolling on Twitter in um, San Francisco. Somebody was carrying a casket down the street because they were getting ready to move parking spaces for a bike lane. And they were like, no, this is horrible. So it's the naysayers. Um, and then there's a carefulness with the naysayers because there's some that it really doesn't matter what it is. They're they don't want any change. They are perfectly fine with the status quo. It doesn't matter who is left out, who is harmed. I am perfectly fine with how things are. Um, and then there are people who I'm not necessarily against it, but I have this concern. Um, and so I do encourage my engineers to understand what is that true concern and to see how you can address it. And then your champions. That's you all in the room. Were you guys champions? Yeah. Yes. So the champions are the things who passionately want the change every day, wanting the change in the fight every day. Um, and so very important allies. And also with champions, um, ability collectively to use your voice to influence who? People in power. Um, so it's very important. And then even with champions, a very critical thing, and I brought this up uh, at another book talk, is making sure you are a trusted advisor. Um, and so always being able to come with an authenticity um, with everything that you're, you're saying and you're reflecting. Um, so making sure that you are a good champion. Uh, and then lastly is a group I call Silently Suffering. And so when we were doing our um, power and privilege analysis, there's this group that just always tends to get left out of the conversation. Um, and that's because, especially for government, you know, public meetings are held at night, you know, at during people's bedtimes. You know, you have people who work shifts and they're at work. Yep. And so they're never able to participate. And what really um, brought to light all of this is during COVID. Um, and so I know that there was a lot of fear out there. Um, we didn't know what this thing was. And everything shut down, including transit. And so you had people, and everyone talked about the doctors and the nurses, right? And we said, oh, the essential employees. But no one talked about the cleaning staff, the janitors, um, security, the orderlies, and all of that, uh, the people who support the doctors and nurses. Um, they were left out of the conversation, and oftentimes they were left without a way to get to and from work. Um, and that is what I mean by the silently suffering, and making sure that in everything we do, we're keeping them in mind, we're engaging them, and we may have to engage them differently. Um, I shared an example of working on a public transit project 
where we literally, we, we did, looked at the data to figure out when people were getting off the bus, never on, off the bus, and we set up a meeting in the bus stop. So you couldn't miss the meeting, it wasn't inconvenient. Um, we set up uh, surveys, when someone's getting off a bus, they're trying to go to work, you got about two minutes. That's it, you got two minutes. So it's getting to the pitch quickly. Um, and then being very focused in the questions that we ask. If someone has two minutes, this isn't the time to say, tell me what you want to see. We don't have time for that. You know, so getting to the point quickly. And so the data and the feedback that we got actually helped move forward uh, otherwise would have been a hard project to advance. And so just in everything you do, always think about the people who are silently suffering. Next slide. Uh, and this is my favorite chapter. So let me tell you, um, so I didn't write the chapters in order. I wrote chapter four first. Again, it was my favorite chapter to write. I probably rewrote it multiple times. Uh, I wrote chapter five, it was an easy chapter. I wrote one. Two and three were hard because I was trying to figure out what goes in two, what goes in three. But chapter six, let me tell you, Texas. <laughs> Being here, I had scrapped my original chapter six <laughs> and had to write a whole new chapter six. Um, yeah, so I'm from the, as I mentioned, I'm from the East Coast. Um, I mostly have lived in blue states. Um, and even growing up in New Jersey, we did have a Republican governor, uh, Christy Todd Whitman. She was actually pretty reasonable, you know, as a governor. Um, EPA administrator. But she was a really, really reasonable governor um, outside of the whole, um, uh, 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 what do you call it, profiling, racial profiling of state troopers. That aside. But, you know, that probably exists in a lot of different states. Um, but being here and like, I was like, I feel like I'm in the belly of the beast. And it really opened my eyes to a lot of things. And I'm giving you all this because, um, you know, it is very easy living on the outside to be like, oh, Florida go to Florida, Texas go to Florida too, and Texas go to Texas. Oh, that's just Texas. Um, but the thing I've realized being here, um, now that I now that I've seen the other side and I've been here, I see that this is really just the test bed. Um, Florida and Texas are just the place where people come to test how far they push. And if it works, great, then we'll go do it elsewhere. Um, and so I have been ringing the alarm um, to the people in the advocacy community of we can't write off what's happening. Um, everyone needs, this is all, all hands on deck, um, if you will. And so chapter six, I completely rewrote the whole thing. Next slide. Um, and so I'm not gonna go through everything, but chapter six was really the call to action. And so with that is, I put out a lot of different thoughts um, and then put out some ideas for reflection. And so initially, um, so some of this is rele relevant to engineering. So moving quicker, as I mentioned, people are dying every day. And the problem is um, transportation is slow, just on how the funding is. We do long range plans, so we're looking 20 years out. You know, we come to engage you, and then we're like, thank you for your engagement. We'll be back in 10 years to build, right? Meanwhile, people are dying today. Um, and again, a real kudos to the Biden administration and the bipartisan infrastructure law, giving funding to local areas so that they can move quicker. But even that's not enough. And so I give a little tips for the transportation industry. Um, directing a vision, um, which again is more relevated, relevant to transportation. Um, but the real key things, uh, you know, the last four, um, so enabling a bold vision. Um, I know that uh, many of the candidates came here to talk about their vision, 
But we really need to make sure that we are enabling them to enact that bold vision. Because what happens is, you know, they, you know, they say Mike, uh, Mike Tyson says everyone has a plan until you get punched in the fight. <laughs> right? And so it is not enough to just elect our people, but to continue to enable them to do their job, to do great things, and, and keep showing up for them even as they're in the fight. Um, increasing diversity. Um, I know that there was one candidate that said that they would be the first person of color to ever hold their seat. I do think it is important to increase diversity, um, even as the attacks come and this idea of meritocracy. And then the reality is the smartest person isn't always the best person. Um, so there are some people who I know that are very book smart and don't ever need to leave anybody uh, but themselves. Um, lastly is um, practicing, it's supposed to be empathy, pardon my typo. I have a child. I just blame everything on the child. I was practicing empathy. Um, but it really is about practicing empathy. And what I go in in this is, it's making sure to put in the effort to decenter yourself. Um, and it can look like a lot of different ways. It doesn't have to be something performative. It could be something as simple as, I love reading. And so I am very intentional to seek out books where the main uh, character, the protagonist, is someone completely unlike me. And I've read books where the protagonist was a transgender woman, and it was a sci-fi. Um, I read books where you know the protagonist um, maybe had a disability. And so what it does is it's a it's a fiction book, but in that author, particularly when they represent when they're writing from their representation, you get to see their thoughts, you get to hear their anxieties, um, so that you can just have a better understanding of people. Um, and then lastly is understanding the opposition. Um, I know that you all know your opposition very well, um, but you know, really understanding the opposition and understanding uh, what is motivating them. Um, and I will say, just speaking as me and no one else, don't don't email my boss and get me fired. You know, but I will say, I mean, we are really up against something um, in this nation. Um, I think that in the Hamilton song, the nation's fighting for its very own soul. And that's how I feel right now, of uh, the just constant attacks on people. Um, and particularly as someone who, again, identifies as Christian, um, I just don't see how hating someone plays into Christianity. Um, so just know your opposition, knows what, know what motivates them, um, and be prepared. And so lastly, so I had to add this slide in because um, I did an interview and so someone was like, oh, so if we practice empathy, that means that we need to like take the time to understand like how white supremacy, as I know, no, 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 no. Uh, and that's why I had to pull up this James Baldwin quote. Cause like, I don't need to understand that. Uh, Cause if you don't, you, it, cause if we can't agree that I'm a human, there, there's nothing for us to agree on from there. So I just wanted to end with that. And so thank you so much for your time today. We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.